Well, good morning, 9 a.m. How you guys doing? I didn't know that my mic was on, but I got really excited for the night of worship. And so if you have not been to a night of worship, you need to come to one because they are fantastic. Well, man, I'm so excited to be hanging out with you guys today, hanging out with everybody online. Thank you for joining us, online church. I missed you in the live this morning, but we're hanging out right now, so this is good. Um, but we are so excited, and before we get started and jump into this awesome uh, message of God that, that I, I really truly believe that God just laid on my heart for all of us this morning and today, I wanna give honor where honor is due, and so I just wanna thank our pastors. I know that they're not in this room, but hopefully they'll watch this later, tell me how good I did. Maybe they're watching right now, I'm a little bit nervous, um, but I just wanna honor them because, man, they took a chance on a jacked up, messed up, girls straight out of college and, and straight out the club, honestly, if I'm honest, um, and just took a chance on her. And so I'm so grateful for their investment in me and their leadership and their pastor. I mean, we have the greatest pastors in the entire world. And if you don't know that, you'll, you'll learn that very quickly. And so I'm super, super grateful for them. I'm also grateful for my husband. Man, if you don't know, he is the calm to my crazy. He is the logic to my emotion. He is the person that pushes me harder than anybody else does. And so when I think I can't do something, he is that one that comes up next to me and he's like, you can do this. I know that you can. And so so grateful. I'm married right. I'm married up. I love him. He is, is a huge godsend to me. And so... I wanna dive into to today's message, but first I need to know, have any of you guys ever been to youth camp? Did anybody ever, it doesn't have to be a church camp, but if you did go to church camp, then you know it is part Jesus, it is also part looking for your spouse, right? <laughs> okay. Have you ever wondered how these like decent looking men end up with these models of women? It's because of church camp, and you wanna know what happens, it's because they raise their hands at church camp, and so you know, you have a decent looking dude who you know, is about here, and you're like, wow, okay. Every girl's like, all right, I see him. And then they go to about here, and they're like, wow, I never noticed that guy before. And they go here, it's like, oh my gosh, marry me now, let's go. And so that's what happened. If you don't know that, that is the truth about part of youth camp. But I loved youth camp too because I used to have these like incredible encounters with Jesus and I loved it. And I learned so much about him at youth camp. And so I'll never forget in my senior, it was the summer before my senior year of high school. My youth pastor tells us, hey, you know, we're not gonna be going to the same place we've always gone. It's not gonna be in Orlando anymore. We're actually gonna be going up to West Virginia. And I'm like, what? Why are we going to West Virginia? You can't change things. I mean, God's not in West Virginia. God's not gonna meet me up there. Like, I'm not gonna have that encounter with God that I have every single summer when I come back and I'm like on fire for Jesus. And then two weeks later, I'm like, what happened? Like, you know, you kind of like back in the normal things and back in life. And, and so I was like, man, God's not gonna meet me in West Virginia. So, you know, the God part was out. So I was like, I guess I'll look for a boy. And so I was like looking around. I'm like, what are my options? I was like, oh, we're in West Virginia. Not very much. All right, cool. <laughs> And so I was like, this is gonna be great. And so I was going throughout this and what I did not know is that God was actually gonna meet me at this youth camp in a way that would change my life forever. And so we're up there and we're rappelling and whitewater rafting, doing all this crazy stuff. And there was a couple of Florida kids, you know, we're up in West Virginia and this flood started to happen. There was this huge rainfall and this water is just like crashing all around us. And Florida kids love water. And so we're like, you know what? We're gonna go play in the flood because that sounds like a genius idea, right, Eddie? You would be with us. I didn't say that we were the smartest kids. I said that we were Florida kids. And so we love the water. So we're running across and we're like dancing in the rain and thinking it's like the coolest thing. And 
I look over and I see this water just like gushing down the street. And I was like, whoa, genius idea. If I go over there where the water is gushing, the water will push me down the street like a water slide and it'll be the greatest day of my life. And so there's one of two kids, the kids that are like, that sounds like a bad idea. And then there's the kids that are like, yo, let's go. And so that was me. All my friends are like, I was like trying to convince my friends. I'm like, yo, come on, let's go, let's go. We gotta go, put, you know, put it. They're like, no, it's a terrible idea. I'm like, okay. And so I run over and I end up falling into this ditch. And so I'm like running over and all of a sudden I disappear and I go under the water. And so I stand back up and my friends are like, oh no, that was bad. We thought you were gone. And then within like three seconds, I disappeared again. So I was completely submerged underwater. My youth leaders come running out and they're looking for me. The, the kids that were out there with me are looking for me everywhere. They can't find me. My, one of my youth pastors actually goes in after me to see if I was pinned up against something or if I was stuck under the water or just where I was. He was trying to find me and he actually felt that I had gone through something. There was a tunnel that was under the water because in West Virginia, they have these things called culverts and they're, they're these tunnels that take water from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the mountain to help make sure that they don't flood the neighbors' yards and all this stuff. And so I had actually gone through, imagine a water slide that was filled with water. And so as I'm in this, I hit my head for the first time and I was like, this is a really odd dream. Like, God, I don't know what you're, what are you speaking to me in this moment? This is a weird dream. And the second time I hit my head, I said, oh wait, no, I actually felt that. You don't feel things in your dreams. And then the third time I hit my head, I said, oh, this is not a dream. I said, you know what? I guess it's my time. And what's crazy is I have never to this day felt a peace like that before. I had this utmost peace that I was okay. I was like, all right, I did what I was supposed to do. I did my part. I played my role. I was excited to see Jesus, to see this heaven that we, we dream about that we have no idea what it looks like. I was excited to see my dad again. My father had passed away when I was 13, and so I was so excited to get to see him again, and I was so excited about all the things that I was about to experience. And just as quickly as I got excited, it flipped to, wait, hold on, but what about the people at home? And I started thinking about my mom, and I was like, wait, 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 no, 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 I was like, my mom needs me, like, my mom can't do this without me, like, she's lived her whole life without me, but you know, but I was like, my mom can't live without me. I said, what about my family? I go, my family, like, they need me. I said, what about my friends that are outside that are looking for me right now? I go, they need me. There's people around, they need me. And so I was like, God, I'm not done yet. God, I'm not done yet. Will you please let me go back? Like, I, I'm not done yet. And in that moment, I felt the tunnel release. And what it was, it was me just coming out the other side of the tunnel. And so I get drawn out into this creek, and I found this branch that I can flip over and I end up seeing my friend from across the street and I call out to her. The ambulance comes, everybody's there. My life is saved. Actually, my youth pastor had gotten caught behind me and they had to take five guys the size of Eddie on each side with a hose to pull back against the water because that's how fast the water was rushing. And when I came back from the ER, people walked up to me and they said, listen, kids die like that all the time. There's this huge lawsuit in West Virginia that is like they were trying to get signage up and stuff like that because you don't see it. And what was so crazy to me is that in what could have been my final moments, the only thing that mattered were people. It's because it's the only thing that does matter. It's the only thing that will ever matter. It's the only thing, it's the heart of God, it's the only thing that God cares about is people. It's not about what we have or what we achieve. It's always been about people. 
And so I'm excited to dive into the story of Jonah with you here today because we are gonna relate so hardcore to his uh, humanity, but also learn some lessons so that we don't make the same mistakes that he did. And we've actually been studying this in Coastal Youth. We've been breaking into small groups and reading through it and talking through it. And so I'm excited to dive in because Jonah lost sight of what was most important in life. And there's so many lessons that we can learn from his story about not how, to, how to not make the same exact mistakes. And so maybe you know Jonah from Kids Church. Anybody ever heard of Jonah and the Great Whale? You've heard, all right, have you, have you ever doubted that that was real and then you heard about the modern day Jonah? There was a guy that actually got eaten by a whale this year, so if you don't believe it, look it up. You can Google it. So pretty much what happens is God tells this guy Jonah, hey, I want you to go and I want you to say these eight words in, in the NIV, but it's actually five words in Hebrew and you are gonna save this whole city. And Jonah's like, Nah, God, I'm out. And so he tries to outrun God. Like, you can't run from God. If you haven't figured that out yet, let me just start right here. You can't outrun God. And so Jonah tries to run from God, and he goes on this ship, and which is a terrible idea, again, because you're surrounded by water. I'm like, where are you going? Where are you trying to run to? But he was going in the very opposite direction of where God had called him. And so as he's on this ship, there's this storm that takes place, and all of these sailors are freaking out. They're like, what is happening? What is causing this storm? And Jonah finally, they wake him up because he could care less. He, but they wake him up and, and he's like, what's happening? And Jonah's like, this is actually my fault. I need you to throw me overboard. And the sailors are like, we're not gonna throw you overboard. And he's like, no, seriously, if you want this storm to stop, you need to throw me overboard. And so the sailors end up throwing him overboard. This giant fish comes and, and eats Jonah and he is in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights just contemplating. And, and actually his prayer during that time is so grateful that God saved him. Even though he is in this stinky, nasty, dark place, he is so grateful that God saved him. And so the, the fish ends up spitting Jonah out and Jonah goes and he says the words that he's supposed to say to the city of Nineveh. He saves the city and the this is where we pick up. And this is where we, it gets real. Because we are gonna be focusing in on chapter four, which is like, Jonah, I, like I feel Jonah, but at the same time, I'm like, dang, God, I am so grateful that you wrote about messed up people in the Bible because it is not only about all these perfect people that we are trying to be like and that we see is not attainable, but it's like, Jonah, I feel you, Jonah. Like, I, I see you and I understand. And so we pick up this story in Jonah 4, verses one through four, it says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He is mad that God just saved this city. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what you said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And something that you will learn about Jonah is that Jonah is a little dramatic and he's a little bit immature. And so he will say this a million times from here on out. And so verse four, it says, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? And so the first lesson that we can learn from the life of Jonah of how not to lose sight of what is most important to God is that we have to check the state of our heart. You see, Jonah's happiness or unhappiness was dependent upon if something was benefiting him. Jonah was actually a prophet in Israel during the time when Israel was receiving peace and prosperity because of the compassion of God. Yet in this moment, God is showing compassion towards a people that is not his people and he is angry about it. 
When God had compassion on him and saved him with a fish, he was grateful, he had a grateful prayer. But this moment that God is giving grace to people that he doesn't think deserve it, he is now mad that God is doing the very things that he had been grateful for before. And so when I was thinking through this, he had lost sight of what was most important and I started to ask myself some questions. I started to say, hey, hey Susie, how's your heart when someone gets something you don't, you want or think that you deserve? When that person gets that raise that you've been wanting, when someone gets what you think they can't afford, what do you say about those people behind their backs? How do we talk about those people? And why is it so important that we check the state of our heart? Because Proverbs 4.23 says this, it says, above all else, it's not in your notes, I know I just saw a couple people look down. Above all else, you have to guard your heart because everything, everything that you do flows from it. Your words, your actions, everything that you do flows from the place of your heart. And so if there is bitterness or anger or unforgiveness in there, it will change how we treat people. And so the first thing that we have to do if we are gonna stay focused on what is important to God is we need to check our heart. The second thing that we have to do is we have to obey the command of God even when we don't want to. You see Jonah, in Jonah 4 or 5 it says this, Jonah went out and sat out at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. You see, Jonah had lost so much sight of what was important that he was actually waiting outside the city hoping that God would destroy it. So he did what God asked him to do and if I'm honest, he probably just did it because he was like, I don't wanna get swallowed by another fish or like what on land could swallow me for three days and three nights? Like I don't, I don't want that to happen again so God, I'm gonna go do what you asked me to do but I'm gonna do it with a bitter attitude and a nasty heart and I hope that you will do what I want you to do, not what you wanna do and so I'm gonna sit outside on this city and I'm gonna hope that you will do the very thing that I think that those people deserve. And I think sometimes we use how we feel in a moment as an excuse not to do something that God has asked us to do. And so maybe we say, you know what? I'm not gonna give today because I'm not giving cheerfully. And the Bible says to be a cheerful giver. Or I'm not gonna talk to that person today because I'm just not in a people mood. <clears throat> Been there. <laughs> Said that before. I'm not gonna wait and hold this door because that person is walking too slow and I'm in a bad mood and I have somewhere to be and so let's just keep it moving, close, let the door slam in their face, it doesn't really matter. Or what about this one? I'm not gonna go serve today because I just don't want to. I just don't feel like it. Even though I already committed, I checked it on Planning Center but I'm like, you know what? I'm just not gonna show up because I just don't feel like it. I think sometimes we use our feelings as an excuse not to obey God, but Jonah obeyed God despite how he felt. And what's crazy about all of that is that God still used Jonah's act of obedience to save a city even with Jonah's bad attitude. So God still did what he wanted to do even though Jonah had the wrong attitude. And so what is God asking you to do? Something that I learned a long time ago is to just do it. You gotta be like Nike, just do it. You know what I'm saying? Even if you don't feel like it, even if you're in a bad mood, if God is telling you to do something, you do it. Because every time I have decided to show up, no matter how I felt, there was always a blessing for somebody else on the other side of that. 
And we say this all the time, we say that there's a blessing on the other side of your obedience, but that doesn't always mean that the blessing is for you. That blessing might be for somebody else, and so sometimes you gotta push past how you feel and just go do what you know God is asking you to do because it's not for you, it's for somebody else. And as you are there for somebody else and you are serving somebody else, God will restore your bad attitude and he will make it according to his word and he will restore the heart of God to you. And so sometimes you just have to do it because you might be the vessel that blesses somebody else. And so as Jonah is sitting in this place of bitterness, he's sitting up and he's watching the city, hoping that God would just destroy it, clearly has lost sight of what is most important to God. God's like, you know what? I'm gonna use this as an opportunity to teach him a lesson. Have you ever been there? Been in your, you've been sitting in your emotions and God's like, you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna teach so-and-so a lesson. And so as Jonah's sitting up there and he's watching this city, God is like, all right, I'm gonna provide something for Jonah and he provides this vine and this vine grows into this beautiful plant that just creates what they would consider a sea back then. And so he's sitting in the comfort of just this cool shade. And as he's sitting there, he's enjoying it, it says that he was happy. Of course he's happy, God's providing for him, right? In that same night, God provides a worm that destroys the vine and eats it, and so now it's gone. And that next morning, he provides a scorching east wind that makes it so hot that Jonah is now faint from the heat, and he's sweating, and he's in discomfort, and God provided all of those things. I wanna stop right here because I think sometimes we ask for God's provision, and when, when we, it doesn't turn out exactly how we want it to, we think that God's failed us. We think that God hasn't showed up. We think that God has done something wrong because we were praying for something and God didn't do exactly what we asked him to do, so therefore God didn't show up. But if you look at this, God provided all of those things. That word provided was used for the vine, for the worm, and for the wind that caused his discomfort. And so God's provisions aren't always gonna be pretty, but they will teach you something. And so God uses these provisions to teach Jonah a lesson in this moment because he cares more about who Jonah's becoming than what Jonah has. And so he will provide some things that are gonna cause some discomfort in your life to remind you of what is most important, which is people. And so in verse nine, it says this, it says, but God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I'm angry enough to die. I can just like imagine this so dramatic, right? But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. And I wanna stop right there because I love that God mentions a number. We say this all the time, that every number has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God. And so every single one of those 120,000 people that were in Nineveh have a personal story that mattered to God because it's always been about people. And I guess cattle too, because it says, and many cattle as well. And so should I not be concerned about this great city? And this is how the book of Jonah ends. It ends on this question. And when I was sitting in my C group with my, my high school girls, I was like, you know, hey, why do you guys think that Jonah ends on a question? Why do you think it ends with this, should I be concerned about this great city? And one of the girls responded, she said, so that we would have to ask ourselves the same question. I was like, wow. 
Like guys, if you have kids in here, you need to start asking them some questions because they have answers that will blow your mind. We have to ask ourselves this same question. And so in order to not lose sight of the things that are the most important to God, we have to check the status of our heart. We have to obey the command even when we don't want to. And the third thing that we have to do is we have to reflect the heart of God. And there's two definitions for the word reflect here. One of them is to, to think calmly and quietly. It's this unhurried consideration of something. So to reflect, to think about the heart of God. But then the second part of it is to give evidence of the character or quality of something. And so it's to actually put forth reflecting the heart of God. And what I find so interesting is how God asked Jonah in this moment if he cares. He talks about 120,000 people that are lost. And Jonah could care less, and so he throws in this, how about the cattle? Jonah, do you at least care about the cattle? Because if we think about this, in this moment, Jonah has finally shown concern for something, but it's about a plant. And plants, I will, I will give you this, plants are a lot easier to care for than people are. I will, I will give that right there. Let's just throw that out there. But I feel like God was being sarcastic in the moment. He's like, he's like, get it, listen, I understand that you cared nothing about the sailors. I understand that you cared nothing about the Ninevites, but do you at least care about the cattle that are in the land? Because you seem to not be concerned about anything unless it has to deal with you. You loved the provision that was in Israel because it benefited you. You loved the fish and you were grateful for it saving you because it saved you. You were grateful for the vine because it provided comfort for you, but do you care about anybody but yourself? And if something is not benefiting you, do you have the same care and concern for those things? Or do you only care about yourself? And man, this is where this message gets uh, really good for my soul and terrible for my reputation. Because there are some times in life where people frustrate me so bad, people make me so angry, and over time my heart starts to get hardened towards people, where I'm like, man, you know what? You do you, boo-boo. You tell me how that works out for you. I'm just gonna watch it all take place. I'm gonna sit on the outskirts like Jonah did and I'm just gonna watch you make your decisions and I'm gonna see how it turns out for you because I get tired in the fight for people. You get beat up in the fight for people. You get tired, you get exhausted. It is, it is a long road. But the truth is, and I, sometimes I try to sit back and I say, God, it's not my fight, it's yours. Like, I, I'm like, you know what? Jonah might've had a bad attitude, but at least I have the right attitude about it. I'm like, that's your fight, God. And God in that moment is like, no, it's yours. I have put you there to fight my battles for me, to do the work, to be the vessel, to reach people. I wanna use you, God. God could have used so many other people besides Jonah. Jonah had a terrible attitude, but God still chose to use him to save people. And he's choosing each and every one of us to stay in the fight for people because it's always been about people. It will always be about people. And sometimes I think those people that frustrate us the most are sent to our lives to be a reminder of what we put God through every day. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you, man. 
as great as you think you are, I know that we're church people, we're sitting in church, we're watching church online, we're taking time to listen to the word of God, we think we are so awesome. You still are frustrating to God. You still, when we sit in our comfortable lives or when we ignore the people around us and when we're doing these things, he's like, oh my gosh. And so I think that those people were sent in our lives to be a reminder of what we put God through and that if we can just become grateful for the grace that God gives us every single day, the mercies that are renewed every single morning, if we can allow that to overflow with how we treat people, we would start to treat people differently. We would start to see people differently because we would see them through the lens of, man, you know what, I'm not perfect either. I know that these people aren't perfect and I know that I need grace and because I need grace, I'm gonna extend grace and so I'm gonna give these people grace even though they're making me mad right now. And I'm gonna love them. Not because I necessarily feel like loving them right now, but because God has called me to love them. And so my question for you is, are you concerned about our great city? Are we concerned about our great city or are we fighting and focusing on the wrong things? Are we fighting about things that are not eternal and we are fighting against each other instead of next to each other for the lost souls that are found in South Florida? The 97% that are unchurched, that are lost, that are hopeless, living life without a savior and you have the very word inside of you to be able to save them. But we're sitting back divided. And for us to not lose focus or lose sight on what's most important to God, I think we need to check the status of our heart. We need to obey even when we don't feel like it. And, and we have to reflect the heart of God in everything that we do. And so I don't know what God is asking all of you to do, but I can almost guarantee that you are making it way harder than it has to be. God asked Jonah to speak five words, five Maybe God is just asking you to speak five words to your neighbor, five words to your relative, five words to your employee, five words to the cashier. Five words could change the course of somebody's life forever. And maybe those five words are, are will you come to church with me? I don't know how many words that is, don't count it. But maybe it's something as simple as that and then they come here and they experience Jesus and they commit their lives and you're like, oh my gosh, I played a part in that. That is why God placed you here. Because it's always been about people. He kept you here because it's about people. And maybe you're here today because somebody invited you here or maybe you're watching online because somebody shared it on their timeline and you're sitting here for a reason to be reminded that there is a God that loves you and that cares about you and that wants what's best for you. I mentioned it before, listen, God could have chosen anybody else besides Jonah. There were probably a million eligible bachelors that he could have used to go and save the city of Nineveh, yet in all of Jonah's rebellion and, and disobedience and selfishness, he still chose Jonah as a part of his story. And so maybe you're sitting out there and you've given up on yourself like Jonah gave up on himself and he is like, listen, I'm just done. I'm out of here. I don't even wanna do this anymore. I pray that Jonah is a, a reminder that God is still pursuing you, that God has not given up on you, that God still has a purpose and a plan for you and not only does he want a relationship with you, 
but he wants to use you as a part of his story. And just as God sent a fish to save Jonah in all of his selfishness and all of his disobedience and all of his just nastiness, I don't even know. God sent his son, the greatest gift ever, in all of our selfishness, in all of our disobedience, in all of our rebellion, in all of our running, so that we could have a relationship with him. And maybe you're in here today, and that, or maybe you're watching online, and that's the reminder that you needed. That God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to use you as a part of his story, not as a bystander sitting and watching it all take place. So what I'm gonna ask is that we would all just close our eyes for a second. Because there's a possibility that somebody did get invited here and that they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so I wanna give that opportunity right here and right now. And so if you're in this place and, and you wanna pray what we call the salvation prayer, it's just a prayer just saying that you're choosing God, saying that you're acknowledging that he's been pursuing you and you've been running from him. And so if that's you here today, I wanna lead you in that prayer. And so if you would just raise your hands on the count of three. One, two, three. And if you're online, you can comment in the comment section. I'm just gonna pray this prayer and you can just repeat it. It's not even about the words, it's just about the decision that you're making. And you, so you say, God, thank you so much for the love that you have for me, for the pursuit that you have for me. Man, that you sent the greatest gift in the entire world to come and pay a price for me that I could not pay on my own. And so God, today, right here during this 9 a.m. service, I commit my life to you. I choose you as my Lord and my Savior to guide every step of the way from here on out. God, I pray whether this is the first time hearing about it or this first time sitting in this room, that I would not walk out of this service the same. But God, that for the rest of my life, I would follow after you and follow after all the plans and the purposes that you have for my life. And God, I pray for the rest of us in this room that you would just give us a renewed sight of what is most important to you. I pray that we would see people how you see people, that we would be obedient to the ways that you've called us to serve and that we would always strive to reflect your heart for people. God, give us the grace, give us the patience, give us the wisdom, give us the strength to do so. Help us reach South Florida and the world for you. We love you and it's in Jesus' name that we all say, amen.